everyone. This is Mark Oppenheimer, the host of Unorthodox. We're bringing you a special show this week. Instead of our normal banter about news of the Jews and our Jewish guests and our Gentile guests, we're doing a special Father's Day episode. We're doing it a little bit early to give you time to circulate it to all the dads out there and, and all the friends who are dads or are sons or anyone who's ever had a dad, which is most of us. Um, and we wish you a very happy Father's Day. I'm going to be talking to my dad, Tim Oppenheimer, about his father. Stephanie Butnick is going to be talking to our colleague, Marjorie Engel, about fatherhood. And Leah Leibowitz is going to be doing a short interview with our tablet colleague, Gabriel Sanders, where they're also going to talk about Jewish dads. Join us and let us know what you think. So Jewish mothers... I think, get all the love. There are all these Jewish mother stereotypes. It's time to talk about the Jewish father. And with me is my dear friend and the world's foremost Jewish father expert and tablet magazine uh, luminary, Gabe Sanders. Hello, Gabe. Hey, Liel. What is it about Jewish fathers? Here's, here's what I mean. You look at the Bible, right, for examples of how we're supposed to be as Jewish dads. And here's what you see. You see a guy getting drugged and date raped by his daughters. You see another guy fucking his dead son's wife after mistaking her for a whore. And then you see a guy about to kill his kid with a knife. That's not the greatest collection of individuals, is it? (laughs) Uh, They are very vivid stories. And uh, when I became a father almost eight years ago, I started thinking about what kind of, who am I and what kind of father do I want to be? And uh, and you look you look to the sources. You look, look to, the, the to the good book for inspiration. And this, what's funny is that um, I I wrote about this when I was a new father, and in thinking about today and coming in here, I was thinking about just how little the thinking that I did then um, had anything to do with reality. Yes, exactly. Having an actual exactly. human child. That um, so. What do you think? It then? got lay, out lay of out date very quickly. But with one exception, I think Abraham continues to be a model, and I'll tell you why. Um, no, Abraham is this figure who's pulled between God and his son. So he's, he's in a constant state of tension. You know, God calls to him to sacrifice Isaac, and Isaac calls to Abraham with the same word, hineni, here I am. Take, take us back, though. So here you are, uh, a, a little gorgeous human, blonde, baby, Aryan, blue-eyed boy is born, Ezra, right? So beautiful, so cute. And you have all this list of, this is what I will be as a Jewish dad. What's on that list? <laughs> um it's funny because you, you know, what kind of Jewish family I wanted to have really only came to the fore once my child was born. And Before then, it wasn't even an issue you and your wife thought about much. Well, I mean... It was just something you were. With getting married, that was um, straightforward enough. But as is so often the case that when children appear, then that's when... We really have to start unpacking. <laughs> hey, fuck, we got to make them Jews now. How do we do that? Or do you make yeah. a Jew? And um, how do yeah. you make a Jew? <laughs> um, so Liel's children go to a Jewish day school, and my son doesn't. Liel's children and Liel's money both go to a Jewish day school <laughs> together. And uh, and I asked you if you thought that um, that that gave you a kind of out. That they, you subcontracted a, a it. Pass. Yeah, that you subcontracted <laughs> it and like they've got it 
covered. Is that true? You know, in a way it is. It gives me immense pleasure to see my daughter get off the cab on West End Avenue on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and at the top of her lungs sing, David, Melech Israel. Like she was sitting in a Beitar Yerushalayim soccer game in Israel, <laughs> like a hooligan, you know, so proud and so happy and so not even realizing that that is not the norm. That's on, on the one hand. On the other hand, look, we live, by we I mean us deracinated, acculturated, pale-faced, self-hating liberal Jews, which is, you know, for better or worse, the population that I, that I run with, although not uh, all of whose traits I share. It's not like Judaism is really going to be part of that child's mental furniture. I don't know if you get this, but this is what I mean. It's not like she's ever going to reach back in a casual moment of conversation and pull up a bit of Talmud. She'll have some Hebrew. She'll have a better than um, average understanding of what the tradition is, but not the actual textual religious foundation. Actually, I hear that from a lot of parents who send their kids to progressive Jewish day schools, that it's not as intense as they would like for it to be. Oh, I would like it to be, yeah, way (laughs) Surprise, surprise. I would like shit to be more intense. It's funny because I remember when my child was born and I was saying that, uh, I was saying to someone that I was going to feel funny talking about God with my child, that that was to me something that I wanted to have subcontracted <laughs> and to the person that Shlomo, i was saying here for the second. person i was saying this kid. to was like how is that possible you'd think that discussing god would be the most important thing that a parent can do um but you felt it was what weird well I, I think i have difficulty talking about the kind of god that a child can appreciate the kind of hashem is here hashem is there hashem is truly everywhere kind of god <laughs> oh hashem um And so I I think that in talking about God, for me, it needs to be authentic. I think one of the difficulties in talking about God with a child is that it needs to feel authentic for both parties. And to have a language... And say, Ezra, um, God is an abstraction who is perhaps not not there. I think that if I were to start talking about the kind of God that I can wrap my head around and feel comfortable with, it would probably end up sounding a lot like the force. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And interestingly, like Star Wars was something that we really did kind of bond over. It was an introduction to 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 spirituality (laughs) in the Sanders family. Um, But my son did go to a Lubavitch preschool where he did get that kind of Hashem is here, Hashem is there kind of um, foundation. And I think that's very valuable. I think that um, in terms of sparking an imagination, um, to have a very tangible God uh, is important. And I think to develop a more sophisticated vision of God, having that very concrete one is good. I just feel funny being the one saying that, like, yeah, there is God everywhere around every corner. It's It strikes me that one of the major disservices we are doing our children, particularly as, I think, Jews, is that we don't equip them with that imagination because we are so sophisticated and beyond faith or or beyond the simplicity of faith that we, at best, we either shy away from it or we deliver some sort of, you know, remote, aloof, abstract, uh, scrubbed down version of what God is. But you have to build this foundation, don't you? You You have to give the kid this magical, mysterious notion that there is the force out there in the universe. Mm hmm. 
So there comes an <laughs> an avoidable, I think, unavoidable moment in which you yourself have been a father for, you know, three or four years, which is really all the time you need, of course, to develop worldwide expertise on the subject. And you sit down and you have this long twilight of the soul and you compare yourself to your own father. Mm -hmm. You did this. What did you find? Or did you not do this? Uh, thought about it. But how am I compared to the old man? I don't know. I don't know if that's a calculation I made. Um, but... My father is an eminently emulable figure, uh, and yours is mine is, is possibly less so. And mine is much less so. Uh, so all I wonder. I, all I have to do to be a, a you know better father figure than my father is not rob twenty one banks, which is a pretty right. Low maybe bar we to should clear. spell out exactly. Uh, if I rob nineteen banks, I'm. It was twenty one. It was twenty one banks. If I rob nineteen banks, I'm still a better dad. And this is not a joke. This is no. This, this was... is absolutely not a joke. Although my father did give me some very good life advice. Yeah, that, I'd that be now, curious what that is. He, he gave me three pieces of advice. They were offered delivered together. Um, they were as follows: never have a boss, never point a gun at anything or anyone you don't fully intend to kill, and when you don't know what to order, always get the club sandwich. <laughs> uh, you laugh, but <laughs> these are words to live by. They will get you out of a pickle once and again. Um, now, is that that's it? By is the that way. Jewish no, no, wisdom? No other wisdom, or that's that? That's <laughs> just the no sum total of the wisdom that that you is got. the subtotal of what I got as a child. Okay, I, I'm going to be as shallow as I can, um, and 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 force you to come up with a listicle. If you need to state five things, uh, could be skills, could be personality traits, anything that you want your son to to grow up to be or have, what would they be? Um, I'd like him, uh, to be able to study independently. Uh, That's the most Jewish thing you've ever said. Continue. Uh, to have an outward look on, uh, fellow human beings, you know, to be cognizant of other people and their needs. That's the most Brooklyn thing you've ever said. Continue. <laughs> Uh, to be uh, devoted to family, uh, to, uh, I have to come up with five. Could be s smaller things. That right. You well, I'd love for him to, to be a strong swimmer and cyclist and um, to have uh, good hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> really, who could wish for anything more? Gabe Sanders. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Love Happy you. Father's Day. To you too. I hope you grow up to become that everything you can be. That's all I wanted for you, young and like father, like son. But in the end, I hope you only turn out better than me. I hope you know I love you, young and like father, like son. My little man, you think it's coming. Coming. You think it's coming. And now a word from our sponsor. Unorthodox is. Really, really thrilled to be sponsored um, these past weeks uh, by Harry's Razors. But I think I'm thinking about it especially because Father's Day is coming up. And there is something about sons and dads and the ritual uh, of shaving that um, 
that gets passed down. Uh, and I'm from a, a long line of clean shaven men. So <laughs> this has definitely been passed down for me. I remember being young and seeing um, my father shave and he always smelled of shaving cream and coffee. Um, and I often get my coffee at a coffee shop and I wonder, am I depriving my kids of that smell of shaving cream plus coffee that I got from my dad in the morning? But I am clean shaven and they take it very, very seriously. Dad's not allowed to grow any whiskers. Um, I shave with Harry's razors. I've been using Harry's uh, lately and it definitely is the best shave I've ever had. Um, I would encourage you to go to harrys.com. Their razors and cartridges are all affordable because they cut out the middleman at the Dwayne Reed or the Walgreens. And for Father's Day, you can get a limited edition Father's Day shave set, which includes a matte black razor handle, a chrome razor stand, moisturizing, foaming shave gel, three of Harry's handcrafted blade cartridges, and a travel cover, all for $40. It comes in a sleek, giftable box with the option to add custom engraving and a personalized card. Um, Harry's also offers other sets at different price points, starting at $15. So you should get one for yourself or get one for your dad. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with the promo code unorthodox. So you'll want to go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S. Leave out the apostrophe. And at checkout, you want to enter the code unorthodox. You will be grateful. And the men in your life for whom you purchase this will also be grateful. Harry's.com. Stephanie Butnick sat down earlier this week with our colleague Marjorie Ingle, who's the author of a forthcoming book on Jewish parenting called Mamala Knows Best, but they didn't talk about mamalas, they talked about Jewish dads. Here's a little bit of their conversation. Before we get started on Father's Day, I, I need to say something about Flag Day, which is <laughs> coming up this weekend. Um, Flag Day is my grandmother's birthday, Cecile, um, love her, and it's like the best because it's on every calendar and you're never going to forget it. And every time I see it, I'm like, I actually don't even know what Flag Day is. We did like something about it in elementary school, but it's my grandma's birthday. So happy birthday, happy grandma. Happy Cecile. Yeah. Love ya. Um, okay. So I I'm here with Marjorie Engel, um, tablet columnist and author of the forthcoming book, Mamala Knows Best. August 30th. We're very excited about it. I just Me got my, my galley. Um, and Marjorie is sort of, you know, literally wrote the book on Jewish motherhood. Um, and Jewish parenting, but we're going to switch it around, switch it up a little bit, talk about Father's Day, I guess. And I just want to start by saying, I'm pretty sure Father's Day is one of those days on where you like open Facebook and it's like, happy Father's Day. And most people are just like, fuck you. Like, yeah, I know. I, I think any of these sort of mandatory holidays, they're so loaded for people because if you have, if your father is dead, if you have a super tormented relationship with your father, I think that the, the Facebooking of everything, I think maybe stay off Facebook on those days when you have a difficult time. So you've, um, you posted something that your own father wrote. You posted it on Facebook a few weeks ago, I think. Um, and it was an essay that your father had written, um, I think a while back. And your father, Michael Engel, was a Psychoanalyst? No. Psychotherapist, sorry. Yes. No, sorry. Uh, mo he was really a psychopharmacologist. Uh, mm -hmm. He was, he liked drugs, uh, hence my Lexapro mug that I have in the studio. And um, he worked with the profoundly mentally ill. He ran a community mental health center for, you know, he worked with schizophrenics and street people and he worked on a medical van. So he liked the crazies. But he also sort of was a writer, it seems. He had a creative he side. He always loved to write. And he was a very good writer. For a while, he had a column in the Providence Journal, where I grew up, and he contributed to a very early online literary magazine. And so that's what the essay yeah, you that's posted from Ralph, from Ralph Magazine. Uh, so he uh, 
always talked about how his whole life was wrestling with what he called the Molochamovis, which is the angel of death, Malachamavit. And he his, he had watched his father die in front of him when he was 15 of a heart attack, and he had a weak heart, and he had had polio and almost died of that when he was a kid, and then had his first heart attack when he was 39. So he always expected to be dead by the time he was 50. And he made it to 64, uh, but uh, it made for a dark and funny childhood. I can imagine. And he sort of does seem dark and funny. Like the yes. piece he wrote, it's very dry and wry, but but sort of very, very loving. And he seems like a real mensch. He was a total mensch. But uh, I don't want to, uh, you know, what do you call it, uh, valorize him too much because he was difficult and uh, had no filters and no boundaries and would say whatever came into his head. Uh, and he had a terrible temper. Uh, but he was fundamentally a kind and decent human being while also being extremely funny and irreverent. And I think quite like ethical and he was an activist and things like that. I still, uh, I give blood as often as I can in honor of him because he wasn't allowed to do it after he got sick. And that was, I just never thought of that as a particular mitzvah. I mean, they give you cookies. But he was always like, I love that you give blood. So now I still do that. That's the thing that I feel connected to him doing. So the essay that your father wrote, that one particular one was about his own father, who was a doctor who used to drive, you know, hours and hours to make um, house calls. And I really, really liked it. And I was hoping you could read a bit of it, maybe the second paragraph. Okay. He would go out day or night. He drove five hours in a snowstorm to New Hampshire to see a very sick kid because there was no pediatrician in the area and the kid's father got my father's name from his sister who lived in Boston. The Kaplans became our closest friends and we spent many happy years together visiting each other's homes, the country mice and the city mice. Uh, Once when we were in a house where the people were obviously poor and couldn't afford my father's $5 fee for a house call, he raised it to $7 in 1952 to keep up with inflation, I watched as my father surreptitiously slipped a $5 bill under the tablecloth. Um, You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, we were solidly upper, you know, middle class or upper middle class. My father was a doctor who was never interested in making money um, and never interested in things, only experiences. And my brother, my brother's husband is a pediatrician. Uh, who also does not make any money because he works, he runs school-based health clinics in the Bronx. So uh, I feel like that's another nice little bit of tradition that's kept going. That's nice. Yeah. It seems to me, I mean, obviously, you write a lot about the Jewish mother and this whole, you know, archetype and things like that. And we heard a little bit um, before from Gabe and Liel. But to me, obviously, a child's relationship with their mother is, you know, indelible. It's there from the start. It's, you really can't mess with it. But what we don't really examine as much, I mean, particularly for young girls and their fathers, it seems like such an important relationship. Yeah. I mean, the stereotype of the Jewish father, um, you know, Liel alluded to the fact that they get no love. Um, I would argue that the Jewish mother gets little love, just a lot of attention. But, uh, you know, there's a joke, an old Jewish joke about uh, the kid comes home from school and says he was cast in the school play. And his mother says, oh, what part did you get? And uh, he says, "Um, I play a Jewish father. And she goes, you go back and tell them you want a speaking part. So, That's, yeah. Oh God. But even that is tied up in the Jewish mother stereotype. Yes, it's this idea that you know, she's so controlling, he doesn't get a chance to exactly. like, get a word in edgewise. Exactly. But I think, as you're right, that particularly for girls, a father is such um, uh, a huge, larger than life figure. And if you're a straight girl, that's your model for, you know, what, you know, you're hoping to, you know, em- you know, with the kind of person you're hoping to emulate. 
uh, with a husband. And I was, I loved that my father, I'm glad my father lived to see me get married. And uh, he loved my husband, who he called Genius Boy. Well, he like is. Nah, that's true. That's like an objective fact. Yes. I met him. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, for your daughters, is that something, I mean, did they get a chance to meet your father? Uh, it is one of the great sadnesses of my life that I was, what, eight months pregnant with Maxine, uh, who was named after my dad um, when uh, he died. Uh, he did see the sonogram, which was exciting. Um, and he was a mess by then. He had you know, he had had falls and he probably had had a series of small strokes and he was constantly, his heart was bad. Um, so he was not pleasant for the last couple of years of his life. So that was a thing I had to sort of forget uh, over time that, to remember the person who he truly was. Um, but I see him in Maxine. I see this weird sense of humor and uh, this lack of filter um, and love of wordplay and... Um, uh, absurdity that is very, you know, from the time she she was the earliest poop joke poop joke maker of our, our entire family, and I know that would have you know delighted my father. She was making poop jokes at two. So you have two daughters. I'm one of two sisters, and for me, something. I mean, my relationship with my father was always so important. We're super, super close. He is thebomb.com. Awesome. Howie B. He's really great, really generous, kind, amazing, very you know loving and. And 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 a wonderful father. To me, I mean that relation. Like growing up, I almost didn't realize. I sort of took for granted having a very you know supportive father. I, none of this, like, I mean, neither of my parents fall into these like Jewish parent stereotypes. They're both like, like the I, I, hearing about the Jewish mother was like something that happened when I like got the tablet. Sort of, I yeah. was like, wait, what is the who is this person? I've never had a Jewish mother like that or a Jewish grandmother or anything like that. But I also think we don't talk about the way. I think children feel very strong, like children, Jewish children are raised to feel very, very strongly about their parents and to really, really care about them and to have that, that relationship to me. I mean, my friends who aren't Jewish mostly are like, you talk to your parents so much. Yeah. And I'm like, you should see how much my sister talks to them. Like, I don't even feel like I talk to them that much. Right. I think there is a, you know, maybe there's just a real intensity to Jews in general. I feel like we're an intense people, but. Uh, why, do you, why do you say that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think a lot of us have. You know, the stereotype of the Jewish father as sort of, you know, the the Portnoy's complaint, you know, passive, quiet, henpecked jerk uh, is, uh, I think, the positive part of that stereotype. And the part that may be true is that um, they are very much engaged in family life. And, uh, you know, I like that, the, you know, the stereotype of the Jewish man as being you know, verbal and, uh, you know, intellectually dexterous, I think is a benefit to parenting. So you have written a lot, you know, you're, I don't want to call you a parenting columnist. You're, no. a, you're a life and religion columnist for tablets. Yes. I don't have, write about my own kids anymore. But you are, a, a, I think, like a, a, a wisdom, you have a lot of wisdom about this stuff. What are your tips for people to say, how to have a non-materialistic, <laughs> non-superficial Father's Day? Like, what do you do? Um, uh, well, let's think about, yeah, uh, let's think about dads. I think that um, if you are in a traditional, you know, truly traditional family where the father is the primary breadwinner, I think it's a good time to talk about the, the contributions everyone makes to the family um, and the, the trade-offs that dads 
have to make um, when they're when they are the primary uh, breadwinner that they are sacrificing time with kids and sacrificing time around the house. But everyone's contributions matter. Um, I think. Uh, it's a good time to talk about the evolving role of the dad and, you know, maybe comparing how engaged uh, one's own, you know, for, for my kids, talk about how engaged daddy is a, as a father, you know, compared to previous generations. I mean, we talk about how my dad could make exactly one thing, which was caprese salad, which basically involves slicing things, but he somehow, you know, his sliced tomato and mozzarella with you know, little leaves of basil laid on it was better than anybody else's. And we believed it because he told us that. But that was it. That was the one thing he could make. And that was awesome. It is delicious, though. It's very delicious. Um, but, you know, certainly, I mean, I knew I wanted, I knew Jonathan was special when we were dating and I was super sick. And he he was in San Francisco and I was in New York. And uh, I was like, oh, let's get Chinese food. And he was like, no, 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 I'll make something. I'm like, I don't have any food. Because, you know, I was a magazine writer and I was never home. And uh, he puttered around my Ikea kitchen and found enough to make this sort of, um, I forget how you say it, and it's like, past, like pasta with uh, cheese and uh, red pepper and broccoli and, uh, you know, tons and tons of pepper. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is so competent. And uh, competence is hot. Marjorie, on that note, we'll, we'll, well, competence is hot. I like that. Um, thank you for being here and Thanks wishing for you me. and your family and, you know, a happy Father's Day and to everyone, whatever Likewise, it means for to you. to you and your cat. Oh, thank you. <laughs> they don't make me like my daddy anymore. Guess they've thrown away the pattern through the years. In a great big land of freedom at a time we really need them. They don't make them like my daddy So, tell us your name. Tim Oppenheimer. My real name is Thomas J. Oppenheimer. Always been known as Tim. Or Timmy when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Or Timmy Tutu, as mom calls you. Right. And how do you know me? You're my son. You're my firstborn. You're my eldest son, my eldest child. That's of of four. Of four. Of four. Correct. Uh, And how many... How many grandchildren? Eight, eight, eight grandchildren. Eight grandchildren. You have like you've been very fruitful. <laughs> <laughs> My children have been fruitful. Your children, but well, you too with four. But I mean, yeah. like something about all of us. Something in our in our upbringing obviously led us to think that having kids <laughs> would be a good idea. That there was something positive about it. Sure. Well, you you could speak you could speak to that better than I. <laughs> so, well, I mean, do, let's go back. I actually wanted to start with with your dad. So it occurred to me. That your father, who died when I was not quite one, right, at your brother's Yale graduation? That's correct, in 1975. I feel like I know him largely through a few stories that have become just kind of shorthand or cliche, right? That he, he was at Uncle Bill's Yale graduation. He went back to the hotel the night before graduation, and he had a heart attack that night. I, I think that he was. I think that he was climbing some of those. Uh, Yale steps in the dorms, and I think that's when he had a heart attack. I think that's my understanding. So, so that was a month before I turned one, and then I know that he was a businessman. He was in the export business, which always sounds like you remember Vandalay Industries on Seinfeld. That <laughs> which was wasn't George always saying when he wanted to pick up a girl, he was an importer exporter. Yes. So I just feel like it's either Seinfeld or it makes me think of the CIA. It's a bogus CIA type cover front, right? Yeah. 
Well, it was very, it was very odd for an urban guy. He grew up in Pittsburgh to end up in the business of exporting agricultural machinery. I don't think he'd ever been on a farm, but uh, uh, that's what he ended up doing. So he'd never graduated from college, right? He, he went to a few. He, <laughs> so, played, he played a lot of cards. Okay. <laughs> Met my mother. Then married grandma and, um, and then had five more marriages. That's correct. That's pretty much, at that point, we've sort of exhausted all that I know about him. I know he lived in Mobile. Your parents divorced when you were four? Four, four. that's correct. And he lived in Mobile and had a summer house or a, another house in Beaufort, South Carolina. That's correct. Exported, it wasn't a house. It was a little cabin. Little cabin. Yeah. Exported farm equipment and married a lot of times. <laughs> but what, that's really all I know. And yet I know that you, you always speak of him very fondly. And so I, I guess I want, like, what kind of dad was he? Well, you know, I don't really remember much from when we all actually lived together. And I saw him once or twice. I saw him about twice a year after that. Um, so we weren't really together very much, but he was a very strong character, very forceful kind of character. So I, I remember him very well. He was, he was uh, argumentative. He was belligerent. He drank too much. Uh, he smoked too much. Uh, we argued late into the night when I was old enough to argue with him. And uh, but he was very um, attentive in his own way. He would write long letters, uh, hand handwritten letters to me, and very nice cursive, and just to just to stay up to date to keep me updated on what he was doing and looking into my life. Uh, always made sure that I came to to see him. Uh, and so um, yes, it was it, it it was a loss. It was it was it was it was a big loss. I I still think about him a lot actually. Why do you think he married so many times? I think that in some ways he was very conventional. And so rather than just, you know, being a serial womanizer or whatever, he was a serial monogamist. <laughs> and because uh, uh, I've thought about that. And so, yeah, so I think that that he wanted he wanted to be married. He wanted a home life. Um, I don't really I don't really know why he was apparently an abject failure. At it, I did ask my mother one time, and she didn't want to talk about it. She she said basically we ended up not respecting one another, but that's all that I could get out of her. So you had a fairly you know you had a fairly unconventional relationship with your father for that era. In that divorce was pretty uncommon. You probably didn't uh, know. that's true. That's and, true. And yet, and then you married pretty not so young, but twenty four, and you had four kids. Had. Did you have a sense of yourself when you got married as someone who wanted children or who wanted quite a few children? Uh, well, mom says that I said that I wanted eight. And I, and, I, and, and, and I do, I do, I do recall. I mean, she's correct. I do recall saying that. Yes. So, so I definitely had my sense of myself. I think, I think what I, my sense was, my fantasy was that in the, the distant future, I'd be sitting around the, the dining room table at, you know, Thanksgiving or some other celebration as sort of the grand uh, grandfather or <laughs> of the, all these children, the potter, grandchildren. The potter familias. <laughs> yes, exactly. And in fact, you have. <laughs> that must exactly. be very rewarding. That, you, it's fantastic. You got exactly yeah. what you had. Turned out pretty well. Yeah. Do, do you think you did a good job? I think uh, I was afraid you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think that as a father, so you're asking me what kind of father I was or I felt I was. Well, I don't really care what kind of husband you were. I think, yeah. I think you were. I think you were good. I think you were good yeah. at that, but that's not my bag. <laughs> um, so, um, I really have to digress a little bit because 
you recall certainly when I when I went into a depression and I started to think of myself as a failure at everything. And that included being a failure as a father. And I think that that what I really That was that was after I was well grown. Oh, out yes. of that. that was ten years ago or so. That was uh yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, about so twelve years ago. I was ago. already thirty yeah. or something. Yeah, close. So I started to replay, you know, replay you, replay all of this stuff and how you could have done better and and ultimately through as as you know, through a lot of therapy and and things that I changed about myself and so forth. You come to forgive yourself, or I came to forgive myself, and for not being as nurturing as as I would have liked to have been, and um, you just vow to well, to do better in the future. Okay, be, I mean, be more specific about that. What do you mean? Like, what's the what would you have changed? I think that I would have um, uh, probably been with you guys more. I would have been a different person. I would have been a more relaxed person. You know, I was involved in work and I was involved in trying to be successful and 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 all of that stuff. And so I wasn't at, at I wasn't as present as I should have been. I was probably preoccupied a lot of the time with work, and uh, so I think I should have. Um, not necessarily been around more. I think I was around. I think I wasn't as engaged as um, hopefully I've become. Do you miss being, do you miss having kids at home? I read a study recently that said the happiest people are those whose kids have just left the house. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, no, uh, I mean, that would, that would not describe me at all. Uh, in fact, that was part of, now that I re- think about it, that was part of my depression as well, is that everybody had gone. Uh, but but now, no, I mean, certainly, I really like the life I have. <laughs> I mean, maybe for a few days. <laughs> but you don't want to be driving carpool, right? No. I mean, I live in terror of it. I really live in, I live in terror of. They're not being there? Of they're not being there. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I feel like the day that the last one goes off to college, I'm just going to fall apart. Yeah, well, as I said, that was kind of part of my falling apart at one time. But very, very happy in the life that <laughs> the Bob and I have now. The occasional bits of grandchildren <laughs> that, you, that you have now. Yeah. Um, so you have four kids. We've all more or less flourished, and your grandchildren are doing well. One would say that you have some wisdom to impart to, to, to our vast, um, I know, to our vast audience of listeners, maybe who have young kids and are trying to figure out fatherhood. What did you, what do you think you did right? Oh, okay. That's a, that's a great question. Cause I, I, I think because well, you did a lot of things, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, I Where really, to begin? I really think that, that the best thing we did was trying to make room for all of you to be who you wanted to be. And so, uh, and not try to, set you in any particular track, but support you in whatever you wanted to do, whatever you were doing. I think we always supported you in whatever you were doing. And so that's why you become the independent great children that, that you are, really. And so um, that was, if there's any, if there's any wisdom, it's, it's you know, um, encourage, empower your children to be who they are, to develop who they are, to support who they are, and to instill... I think the other thing we did was to impart to our children um, a respect for every individual, a uh, sense of uh, a respect, hopefully a sense of fairness and justice 
because uh, as you know, I've been involved in social and economic justice things all my life. And I think that, that those values were imparted to, to all of you. So I think that, I think that we did those things well. I think all of you treat others with, with respect and dignity, and that's enormously important. Um, and a sense of right and wrong and, and, uh, um, and being yourselves. So yes, that's, that's, that's the only wisdom that I have in, in my entire life. Okay. That's a good place to stop. Yeah. <laughs> Teach your children well. Their father's hell did slowly go by. And feed them on your dreams. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. It is edited by Julie Subrin and produced by Sarah Ivry and Alyssa Goldstein. We're so grateful to our partners at panoply.fm. Rabbinic Supervision this week is by our dads, Ronnie Leibowitz, Howard Butnick, and Tim Oppenheimer. Kosher slaughtering by my father-in-law, Alan Fremer. Our website is tabletmag.com. You should follow us on Facebook. And a happy Father's Day to all of you out there. Shalom. Shalom.